realm of the culture, sex. It's everywhere. We spoke about how it's in entertainment, it is in advertisement, it is in school, it is in, in, in the music industry, it's in clothing. You cannot go anywhere where your mind, your ears, your eyes are not assaulted by sexual innuendos and double entendres and flirtations and everything else. And it's, it's a culture that absorbs you in. I would say this is how strong it is. If you don't have Christ, you can't make it. You can't make it. I'll go that far. You might be able to stay a little more pure than someone else. You might be able to not be as bad as everybody else. But after that, that is it. Your mind is an open minefield for the enemy. And as Paul says here, even the desires within us, this is not about us against them. This is a human thing. This is about those in Adam and those in Christ. All of us, Paul says, do not walk any longer as the Gentiles do. Meaning what? There was a time that the Ephesians church did. There was a time we lived in that culture. There was a time we might have turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to certain behaviors and not thought much about it. We might have felt a little guilty, might have felt a little sting in our conscience, but it's what everybody does. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the normal thing. I can't tell you how many parents I've sat down with and uh, who were growing up. And, th- and I've shared this one, this one gentleman, real, very intelligent uh, person, very uh, successful lawyer. And uh, he would let nobody babysit his two young daughters. At the time, they were like 10, 11 years old. And he says, no one has babysitted our, our children except uh, one of the mothers. He goes, I won't trust them to nobody. I protect them and so on and so forth. And as I got to know him, he says, yeah, I'm taking my children to a Madonna concert. And I said, well, that's kind of strange. I said, I thought you were protecting them. But you were exposing them. He didn't like the line of reasoning because it was hurting. I said, you're opening up their mind and their little hearts to this, this, this trash. I see, because you can protect them physically to a certain degree, but you got to protect them mentally. you got to protect them spiritually. And it really hurt him. He was not a believer, so, but, he, but he, a man who lacks few words did have nothing to say after that. He knew something was wrong. But the point is, is that it is Everywhere We have to be on our guard. I laid a charge before all parents last week that you have to fight for your children's sexual purity. You have to fight for it. You have to be on your knees 24-7. You got to be praying week in, week out. You, if you are a parent and you have young children, you have to be as close to Jesus Christ as you can possibly be. Because it's only from that place you can fight a good fight. It's from that place you can encourage a good fight. It's from that place you can pray. It's that, from that place you can be consistent in showing your children the right path. Because the culture is bombarding children. The statistics of what's going on in grammar school sexually is, I don't even want to quote them. And I've shared this before. I don't even like to go online and look for statistics. Because you've got to be ready for what's going to pop up. It's a horrible thing. I got to go to these safe websites to find out statistics to make sure that some sort of perversion is not going to come up and jump me in front of my eyes. So we know that this is what's taking place. Young men, young women, as early as 12, 13, 14, are exposed to this at an alarming rate. 
the thought of pornography that you can get on your iPhone now, on television, uh, is, it, it's almost beyond the ability to control. It's beyond the ability. And we also live in a culture that promotes this. They also try to tell us that, you know, if you're not sexually engaged, there's, there's something wrong. So I'm training some people in the gym the other day, and there's a nice crew about 6.30 in the morning. A bunch of meatheads, and we're all hanging around the training. And, and, and we got a bunch of Met fans and a couple of Yankee fans, and we're always going at it. <clears throat> and now we've, uh, the Mets got, what's his name? I forget his name. You have to figure me. Yeah, Tim Tebow comes to town, and so now he's, he's perfect in time. He's, and they're making fun of him because he's sexually pure. And, and I, I couldn't back down. I said, oh, and what did you give up, chocolate for Lent? You know, and I was like, here's a guy. He's living for the Lord. And as soon as, and, but I got my back up, and I really started going toe-to-toe. And, and everybody just walked away. Everybody just walked away. Because... It's something to laugh about. Sexual purity is something to mock. It's something to laugh about. But I also quoted many statistics last week on, on, on sexual romantic regret. <clears throat> and that's the regret that doesn't make it out into the news media. It doesn't make it out into the open. No one's singing about it. No one's talking about it. There's no poems about it. There's no TV movies about it. There's no sitcoms about it. It's, it seems like nobody's really talking about the genuine issues of people crying to me and saying, you know something, I had an abortion 30 years ago and it's still haunting me. I've done this and I've done that. And, and, and we all have it. And when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. We do not have to make believe we're okay. I can say I'm not okay. Something is wrong, but God has made me okay because he's taken away the shame. He's taken away the guilt. He's given my spiritual virginity back. I'm fresh with him. I'm new with him. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I can fight the wrong. I can pursue the right. So we have that now in Jesus. Nothing's sacred. There's absolutely nothing is sacred. There's no restraining influences in the culture. Nothing's taboo. Nothing's sacred, nothing taboo. You can do whatever you want. And a matter of fact, and if you're not celebrating it, then there's something wrong with you. Please, Christian men and women, there's only one answer. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you're not filled with the Spirit through the Word of God, through fellowship and through prayer, consistently taking off the old, having the, old, the, new, the mind renewed constantly, we will not be able to fight what's transpiring in America today. So take your stand. Paul uses four words from our text last week, and as I just go over a couple of things, just to show you just how bad the culture is. That was 2,000 years ago. Probably worse now. But the first one in uh, verse 20 is the futility of them. Actually, you know something? I guess it would be good if we read it. No, we'll just leave it there. Bear with me today. Be patient with the pastor. He says, in the futility of their minds. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says, in the futility of their minds. It means empty. Paul brings us to the, the culture's empty mind spiritually. The intellect produces nothing holy at all. 
The unregenerate mind without the spirit of God, without faith in Christ, can produce nothing sacred, nothing holy at all. The cultural mind is useless to the kingdom of God. The flesh produces no good thing whatsoever. We live in a culture, as Paul did and as Jesus did, that minds are empty. It's vain imagination. It produces nothing good to God. The human mind, without the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot draw close to God. The mind is gone. The very faculty that God has given to humanity when he created us in his image, the mind that's able to grasp and know the will of God, the affection which is able to love the will of God, and the will which is actually able to obey the will of God is over. All three faculties of the soul are diminished, they're gone, they're broken, extinguished, don't exist. The intellect, its first subject matter should be God. Should be God. Did you know that? I hope you know that now. Your mind is to worship God with what? All your strength, soul, and mind. Your mind is meant, and Paul's going to talk about that when we're talking about putting on a new man. You did not learn Christ that way. The mind is for God. It's where the battle is won. It's where the battle is lost. What I meditate on, I will be. If I'm not meditating on Christ, please, something's going to fill the void. Don't think just because I'm not thinking about the bad things. No, no. The mind has to be engaged. It's brought into relationship with God. All truth is in Jesus. It's brought into being engagement with Jesus to renewing of the mind so I'm not conformed to the things of the world. Amen? Romans 12, 2. He uses something else here. He says they're darkened in their understanding. Their mind is totally unspiritual, dead to God, and they don't even know it. They have no idea. The world has no... The world, like the pagan world, has a pantheon of gods. They have a pantheon of religions. Everybody, just about everybody, says they believe in God. But the truth of the matter is, only the Christian can know God. Paul says every human being outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the new covenant, outside of being born again, is in the world without God and without hope. And they don't even know. They're darkened. They get no spiritual light whatsoever. No moral bearings at all. He says they're they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. We see that their mind is empty. It's unpleasing to God because the light of God has gone out. They've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18. They suppress it. Though God has made himself known to the whole world, they choose to worship the creature rather than the creator. God has given them over to the passions of their flesh. And the root of the whole sinful process, he says here, is the hardness of the heart. The heart that's supposed to love God. The mind understands the will of God. The heart loves God. The affection. 
religious spiritual affection is hardened. It means hardened in marble, unable. It's, the, the Greek word means petrified. Stone. And it's not just unable. It's unable because it's unwilling. This ignorance is a willful ignorance. It's a willful hardness. It's a willful futility of the mind. People aren't walking around saying, oh, I, I wish I was born a different way. They're not saying that. They're saying, I wish God was different, not me. They don't think there's anything wrong. They want a different God. They want a different Jesus. They want another way. They don't want to be in, in truth and in holiness and righteousness. They want nothing to do with that. They're unable because the world we live in is unwilling. And he says the fourth of this culture we live in 2,000 years ago and today in verse 19, he says, they have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality. And I love this. I read this 20-something years ago and it stuck in my mind. They agree to practice every kind of impurity. The culture we live in does not stop pushing the envelope of impurity and filth. Amen. Doesn't stop it. It's not, it's not a strip club. It's a gentleman's club. Gentlemen go there. See, they push the envelope. Rewrite the language. Rewrite legislation. Call it anything but what it really is. This is the culture we live in. They have become slaves to sexual sin. And their lust is never satisfied because sex and passion never satisfies the soul. This is the culture we live in. Always pushing the envelope. Sexual liberation really is just being enslaved to the base natures. Just like brute beasts. Just passion's gotta be, gotta be experienced. Gotta let it go. No restraint whatsoever. But yet, as we spoke about last week, nobody wants to talk about the consequences. Nobody wants to talk about the pain, the alienation, the adulteries, broken marriages, broken families. Nobody wants to talk about it. You know, in that horrible story I shared last week about that man who came to me, his wife was caught in some sexual stuff, and it came to his attention. He brought her out on the carpet, and they're trying to work through these things. I went through it. He saw me. I, I counseled with him. I wanted to sit down with both of them. And he told me that, you know, they went to a secular psychologist, and, uh, and, and the best that they can do was say, well, you know, just, just patch it. Just make it work. You know, she seems like she, she knows she did something wrong and, you know, just move on now. And I told her, unless there's full disclosure, you know, every time after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and she's at the office party, your mind's going to go crazy. And this is two years ago, and I didn't see him. I saw him just about a month ago, a broken man. Broken. Because he doesn't have God. And I said, uh, you know, he's on all sorts of medication. He's broken. He goes, you're, you're right. I can't sleep. I haven't slept in two years. And, you know, because that's, that's the best they can do. Because they don't have God. They have not stepped into Christ. He's the only dividing line between the culture and what we live in. Christian men, please understand. Christian women, understand something. Please get as close to Christ as you possibly can. Otherwise, we will be swallowed up, period, man. 
I will preach it. I will shout it. I will do everything I can to live it. We got to be honest. We got to be transparent because our enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he'll use the weapons of his warfare. And the weapons of his warfare is what's ever taken place in the culture. It's what he uses. But listen to the way Paul says verse 20. Just verse 20, if we can put that up there. The dividing line. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Exclamation point. I don't want you to miss that. Don't want you to miss that. That's not, Paul is saying, don't you remember when I preached to you? Don't you remember when your eyes were first opened up to the glory of God? Do you remember when you were born again? Do you remember when you learned Christ in the heart? Do you remember when your eyes were opened up to the beauty of Jesus Christ? Do you remember when your sins were washed away? Can you remember the day you were born again? That's what he's saying. Acts 19, you should read it. It talks about the magnificent revival that took place in the Paul's preaching in Ephesus. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assume, he says, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is what's going on over here. Paul is reminding them everything that takes place in those formidable first couple of months, first couple of years when someone's been born again. Those formidable years when you're going through baptism, where everything you learn touches your heart. Every time you hear anything about Jesus, it warms your soul with a thousand and one different feelings. All you want to do is hear about Jesus. All you want to do is pray. All you want to do is sing. All you want to do is be around Jesus' people. That's all you want. He's bringing them back to when they were first converted. You did not learn Christ that way. Remember how sweet it was when you found out the work of God on your behalf. When you found out you received the Spirit of Christ, when you found out how sweet it is to be fed with heavenly doctrine about Christ, how you long to get to church, how you long to pray, how you long to worship. That's what Paul is saying. He's reminding them about Jesus. Do you know why? The only answer you need, the only answer you need and I need for what's ever taken place in your life is to be reminded about Jesus. There's no easier, softer way. Give me Jesus. That's all I need. And if Paul, the risen Christ, had to rebuke this church, in Revelation chapter 2, because they were so orthodox, but they forgot what? They forgot their first love. 
They had a mind filled with orthodoxy, but they had no love for Christ. And what we have here is that this church was in love with Christ. You did not learn Christ that way. This is not about some kind of cunning, mysterious way of living right. This is not living a cloistered, monistic lifestyle behind great walls. It's not some cold and stoic attitude against this world, some self-righteous attitude against the world. Oh, no. No, this is simply just Jesus. A Christian simply needs Jesus Christ. Every time we come to church, we need to sing the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. We need to pray the gospel. It is the only answer God has given us is in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven that a man can be saved but through the name of Jesus. In your darkest times, in your weakest times, in your darkest and my darkest times, I need Jesus, not a method. I need Jesus. I need to cry out, Jesus, help me again, dear Lord. Praise God. Pastor, pray for me. Somebody pray for me. Of course we pray for each other. Please, you want a, a little bit of a character. Of course we pray. Of course we confess. But let me tell you something. Even as a pastor, there are times all I can tell you is Jesus. It's the only sermon I have for you. It's the only counsel I have. Get close to Jesus. Someone told me that many, many years ago. Brian, get close to Jesus. And now I know what he is. The answer is Christ, and that's what Paul is teaching us here. He reminds them what they already know. Let me preach some more. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is baptismal language. Paul is bringing them back to those formidable months and those formidable first years and when they were first born again. And that born again experience, when the heart was wide open, where the old man was crushed and pummeled to the ground, the old heart exploded and the new heart began. And the only thing you wanted to do was live holy. You couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to pray. You couldn't wait to live for the Lord. You didn't care what your friends said. You don't care what the culture said. You don't care about what family said. You don't care about what Satan said. All you know is you had your Bible and you wanted to get close to Jesus. Guess what? Why does that get cold for some people? Why? Have you arrived somewhere? Uh, are you glorified? Are you beyond Jesus? Can you sort of muscle it? That's why it hurts when a Christian sins. Because you know why? We think we're beyond certain sins, don't we? We get to a place in our Christian life where the scandalous nature is behind us. And we dealt with that. And we start to cool off. And we don't think we need Jesus. I spoke last year on a half dozen pastors that fell into sexual sin. Huge national ministries. You know, that, that doesn't happen overnight. There's a slow forgetting about our need for Christ. Be careful that you stand lest you fall. This is baptismal language. It's a time when Jesus was everything. He says, you did not learn. It actually means in the Greek, the Christ. It's a technical definition. And it's important over here because he's saying, 
When I taught you the Christ, I taught you God's answer to sin as promised in the Old Testament. When I taught you the Christ, I taught you about the new covenant, the age of the spirit, when Moses would no longer exist and you would not be called to follow the law, but you would be led by the spirit. When I taught you the Christ, I taught you the power of the Holy Ghost. When I taught you the Christ, I taught you about the high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father, always interceding for us, a sympathetic and merciful high priest who's been tempted in all ways who will help you put on the new man who will help you take off the old man when I taught you to Christ I taught you none less than God's answer to sin death and Satan I taught you the Christ Paul painstakingly took the saints as much as he could through all of the Old Testament promise that was fulfilled in Christ and says, this is who you are, a co-heirs of Christ. You did not receive the spirit of slavery, but a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, by which we're close to God. And from this closeness to God with these new religious affections, I have a new heart and I have a new mind and I want to serve God. I want to live for God. Just remind me, Paul, of what Christ has done for me. You know, sometimes I, I used to get caught up when I was a young believer and I hear these sermons, 10 ways to walk in holiness. And I was like, damn, that's great. <laughs> you know, I didn't analyze because it sounded good. If you had to learn 10 ways to be holy, you wouldn't get to way two before you failed. Forget it. Without your hands being raised, do you want to be holy? Do you want to be conformed in the image of Christ? Do you want to escape the moral minefield that's out there? Just stay close to Christ. Amen. Do what you did at first, when you were first born again. And you wouldn't let anything get in the way of a Sunday service. You wouldn't let anything get in the way of a prayer week. You wouldn't let anything get in the way of a Bible study. You, nothing was so important where you wouldn't wake up in the morning and read your Bible or listen to worship music. Nothing could be more important than being close and tapped into the vine because he says if you're not tapped into the vine, you can produce no good thing. Praise God. We're not, Paul's not saying his facts about the Savior. Here, we're going to give you facts. Understand something. If I gave information to the unbeliever, it's a fact. But when you give facts to the believer, it's a person. He's our Jesus. It breaks my my heart of pride. He talks about learning the Christ. He talks about also... Being found in Jesus. That's, that's regenerational work. That's, those are words of saying you've been born again. Paul would go and say, please let me, let me show you what not just the Christ did, but how Jesus, the earthly Jesus, walked this life on earth. Being pleasing to God in everything he's ever done. His only desire was to please God. 
He kept every commandment. He kept every law. He was without sin. He never had a sinful act. He had never had a sinful thought. He never had a sinful attitude, a sinful motive, a sinful agenda. Never once. Why? Because his only aim was to please God. And then he would say, and this is the spirit of Christ in you now. You now have the ability to please God. Put on the new man. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the Christ of the new covenant. Remember the Jesus, the earthly Jesus who walked with you. Remember Jesus who gives you of his spirit. Be fed and be nurtured by the doctrine of Christ. Stay close to Christ. Don't let anything get in the way of you and Jesus Christ. Don't let anything get in the way of you and praying to Jesus Christ. Don't let anything get in the way of you renewing your mind when it comes to Christ. Don't let anything get in the way of the fellowship with the saints. Will you stir one another up to love and good works? Don't let anything get in the way. Amen. Amen. That's what Paul's saying in the text. Isn't that fancy footwork? This is how it works. You get saved. And you get happy in Jesus. And 20 years you're still sitting here. Still happy in Jesus. I'm waiting for God to take me home. There's no graduation. Get involved in the ministry. Get involved in working with other sinners. Get involved in sharing the gospel. Get involved with the local church. Don't just show up. Be part of the body of Christ. People are telling me I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I said you came to church three times last year. Of course you're going to be struggling. It's not the way it works. But that's what Satan does. It makes it sound like where's the big equation? Here's you did not learn Christ that way. You remember when you were saved? Get back there to that desperate place. Get back there to the desperate place where me and my wife got saved. We never not went to church. 28 years later, guess what? Guess where I am on Sunday? Now, of course, this is not about a legalistic showing up. This is about wanting to be with God's people. Amen. I want to be with God's people. The alternative is not good. I need your encouragement to take off the old. You see, now as Christians, we have the power of contrary choice. Could you say that? The power of contrary choice. Prior to Christ, in our darkened state, alienated from God, in a hardness of his heart, greedy to practice every sensuality with more and more. Understand something. We had no power of contrary choice. The impulse would come. The desire would rise. The process would go on in the heart. Temptation would be stirred up. The thought of reaching out to the forbidden fruit would be there. And you might hold on for a season, but sooner or later, what? You got to touch it because it looks good. You want to reach out, if not with the hand, with the eyes. If not with the eyes, with the mind. We're going to engage in this kind of activity. But now with Christ, we can say no to this. This is not the way I learned Christ. I learned Christ that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I do have a power, a, a sound mind now. 
I do have the ability to control thoughts. I have ability to say no to desires. I have ability with the wisdom of God to walk out of situations that are going to tempt me now. I don't have to live in the lion's den anymore. This is what Christ has done. But Brian, if I do that, I'm going to be alone. Praise God. You want to be alone. He who is alone is close to Christ. You see, Lot didn't want to be with Abraham. He wanted to get as close to Sodom as he could and still be a believer. How close can I get to the Sodom and Gomorrah of the culture and still be a you can get real close. As a matter of fact, you can live in there like Lot did and ruin everything. He lost it all. He lost his children. He lost his wife. He lost everything but his salvation. You can get close, but you're going to die there. Leave no imprint. Touch nobody's life. Matter of fact, his daughters were caught up in the cultural Sexual indifference about them. They lay and have incest with their husband, with their father. I believe that every faithful church, and I believe this church is. Now, when you come to church, whether it's prayer or Bible studies, whatever we do, whatever we do in the name of Christ, should always point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything. In that way, we're continually learning Christ. In this way, I'm still getting a better understanding of just how magnificent Christ is. That he's still warming my heart after so many years. That I still need him as when I was a young man when I came to Christ. Matter of fact, I need him more today than I ever have before. This is the world and the culture we live in. And I love the terminology of taking off the old man and putting on the new man. You know where it comes from? It comes from those Greek tragedy plays where the actor would run out, then run backstage, take off one garment, put on a new garment, and run out and be someone else. That's the language being used here. That's what Paul's saying. Like an actor, just take off the filthy rags with his desires. Take that off and be a new creation. Put on Christ now. Be shaped and conformed into Christ. You don't have to live in those impulses anymore. It's as easy as taking it off. This is the power of a childlike faith. This is the power of contrary choice. Don't think it has to be this war against the flesh and the spirit, this long tug of war. Please. If you are in a tug of war with the flesh, I can tell you there's several things you're not doing. You're not confessing. There's no one in your life that knows what's going on. You're doing it on your own. There's no pastor, sister, let me tell you what's going on. I got some ugly stuff going on. See, that's, that's the beginning of putting down the desires. Then there is the very loose affiliation with other believers. I believe it's Proverbs 18 says that the man that separates himself seeks his own desires. So what happens is they don't want to be accountable. And then the mind, it's like, uh, uh, turn to the book of Matthew and it's like 10 years later, they're looking in the index. No, 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 please, it's not an insult. Your mind should be saturated with the word of God. Amen. 
saturate. You should be able to quote scripture, call upon it when you need it. Please, the Bible says clearly in Psalm 19 that God takes the word of God, makes the simple wise. Makes the simple wise with the knowledge of God. Put on Christ. Take off the old man, which is being corrupted with its evil desires. You're not that person anymore. Be renewed in the spirit or the attitude of your mind as you're nurtured on the doctrine of Christ, strengthened by the spirit of Christ, in an understanding of the work of Christ. When you understand the work of Christ, you have the spirit of Christ. You're fed on the doctrine of Christ. You are putting on the new man. You're taking off the old man. You're waking up and you're walking out of the house saying, I am a Christian man. I am a Christian woman. I won't let the culture surround me or suck me up. It's not who I am anymore. Too many Christians are walking around. It's like, uh, I'm a Christian. Like you think it's, Shout it out. Let them know, I am a Christian man. I'm a Christian woman. I don't believe in that at all. Why do we walk around as though we should be ashamed of God? Hallelujah. In the gym, many years ago, and this was going on in my life, more friends were leaving me, found myself isolated, never felt isolated. And I realized what was going on. It's First John two fifteen says they overcame him because the, they overcame the evil one because the word of God abideth in them mightily. And there I am in the gym. Four guys were hucking it up of one guy's perverted joke, real perverted. And he dragged me in. Everybody's hucking it up, and I put my arm around him. I said, John, I used to think like that before Jesus came into my life. Well. You do it a wet blanket. This guy walked this way. This guy walked this way. This guy tried to get away. I cut my arm arm a little heavy. <laughs> Never saw the guy again. I grew up with the guy. I knew a whole family. He was in the gym five days a week. I never, to this day, I've never seen him again. No idea where he is. This is why. Truth is in Jesus. We need to defend the truth. This is not about trying to convert everybody. This is about standing up and saying, this is what I believe. Don't let the culture, with its worship of sex, its annoyance and irritation towards anybody who doesn't celebrate their sexual liberations, and to stand up and say, you know something? I'm for the old way. I'm for God's way. This is who I am. This is the way I live. I have put on Christ. I have taken off the old man. And from now on, I'm living to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you, God. I thank you for giving me just enough strength to get through this sermon, Father God. I thank you for encouraging your saints, Father God.